Podcasting from Hartford, you're listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, your place for all things Connecticut sports. And here is your host, Jared Cutler. On today's episode of the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast, we're talking with Mike Freemuth, the Executive Director of the CRDA, the Capital Region Development Authority. We're talking primarily about the Excel Center here, the impact of COVID on the building, the, the look towards future renovations and improvements, and the importance of having UConn play their games at the Excel Center. So, so Mike, 2020 uh, has been a tough year for, for everyone, uh, but, it, but I think given the CRDA and, it, and its role with some of the facilities you guys manage and oversee, take us through some of the impact uh, that they've seen over the past uh, few months here. Yeah, look, we have had to essentially shut down and run with basically skeleton crews, uh, the convention center, the civic center, um, even Rensselaer Field. Um, and the consequence of that has been obviously the furloughs and layoffs of individuals. Um, but the two big arcing consequences, um, it's led to a fall off in restauranting in uh downtown activity and the hotels and the parking garages. A lot of that's COVID-related, but some is a direct result of these buildings going quiet as well. Uh, the second thing is, is is the tax receipts have dropped off the table. Um, the consequence of that is these buildings are, quote-unquote, hemorrhaging cash. Um, we had a budget. We're burning through it quite quickly. We're only in the first quarter of the – well, we just entered the second quarter, I guess. Um, and we're burning through our annual allocation. And uh, revenues are not coming in, taxes are not being paid, and the buildings are costing uh, quite a bit of money just to keep standing. One of the big things that made uh, news this week was uh, UConn uh, and the announcement that they would not be playing any games at the XL Center this year. Can you take us through how that decision came to be and some of the thought process behind not, uh, not opening up the XL Center for those games this year? Uh, it's a simple question of math. Um, there was no clarity as to how many people we would be able to even allow in the buildings. Um, even the phase three, which was implemented this week, uh, has a cap, uh, even though it's 50% of your occupancy or your capacity, um, it's still capped at the number of people in the hundreds. Um, we need, frankly, we need to get up around 10, 11,000 people in the building to make it make sense economically to either Yukon or to, to CRDA to open the buildings. So without any certainty of fans uh, either being allowed in the building or be interested in going um, and reaching a certain threshold number, um, it would have been an economic loser for both the building and the school. Uh, complicate that a little bit more with what it takes now to open up a building. The costs are increased from even a year ago. Uh, the COVID rules and regulations, the various protocols that have to be put into place, uh, to screen people, to operate the building, to manage food, uh, to follow up subsequently with cleanup activities. Uh, these are all additional costs. So on one hand, you're restricting the number of people. Uh, on the other hand, you're increasing your costs. Uh, together, they worked against making any economic sense out of the building. Have you gotten the sense at all when some of these capacity restrictions might ease up a bit to a, to a point where, where the arena would and opening it up would be feasible economically? Uh, I do not have such a crystal ball, uh, but uh, I would think it would not be before next fall at best. Um, and there's so many variables uh, that are beyond my ability to forecast, let alone control. 
to kind of gauge what a real answer to that is. But our expectation is next fall, we'll try to get back to some kind of normal. There's always a lot of debate on there, you know, whether UConn should play all of its game in stores, continue the split. For those who, who might be in favor and think that playing in stores, you know, is the way to go, what impact do you, would you say that it has on the building if UConn, you know, is no longer a primary tenant? Oh, no, no, no. We need UConn as a primary tenant uh, to have the XL Center make some sense long term. Uh, it provides uh, anywhere from 30 to plus events in the building, uh, but they're high impact events uh, with good crowds that push restaurant, parking, hotels, and other trades. Uh, and they produce a good uh, return, not just to the building, but to Yukon. Um, also, the, the thing that gets lost a lot of times is, you know, I was a Yukon student and you know, your four years disappear pretty quick. And after that, <laughs> you're out here with the quote-unquote alumni. Uh, and, and there's some 80,000 80, UConn alumni within a half hour of the XL Center. Uh, that's an audience that UConn needs to take care of. And they're not going to drive the backwoods uh, to stores on a cold Tuesday night in February. They just aren't going to do it. Um, but get it in and out of the city, if they're working in it or they're within the immediate area is far more easy and more likely for them to attend. Uh, it's also the alumni that put a lot of money into the school and frankly, the sponsorships uh, that the school sells to promote itself uh, where people run ads and sponsor events. Uh, they want the eyeballs in, in Hartford. Uh, that, that clientele is downtown Hartford. So uh, it's in UConn's interest to be in downtown Hartford. And, and the alumni, after you spend your couple of years up there in Mansfield, um, are, are closer to this building than they are to Campbell. And, yes, you need some events on campus. I, I was there. I fully appreciate it. And, yes, uh, the students pay an activity fee. Um, but let's be, let's be honest, uh, basketball is a big time sport and, uh, drives a lot of activity, uh, that is, uh, basically supported by basketball and get their best return on their bucks playing in the XL helps them. While we're on the topic of the XL, I know it, it popped up online over the past few days. Uh, it had been shared about an RFP that that's up right now for renovations for the XL center. Can, can you describe some of the, the renovations and, and upgrades you guys are looking to make in to the building, you know, in this period while you, while you're not going to be able to have any events there and take advantage of that time frame? Sure. Uh, yeah. One of the ideas is to get the construction going to the extent we can during this period of down trough. Um, it's least disruptive and we won't have to interrupt events in the long term. Uh, a lot of it is, is back of the house stuff, which is critical to operations. I mean, it's got a lot of deferred maintenance, uh, everything from, uh, electric switches where there's no manufacturer for anymore. If they break, we have to go out and rebuild them, um, to, uh, HVAC systems, to elevators and escalators and things that people expect and would assume all works, but frankly, uh, is a uh, high cost, um, heavy impact uh, investments, and, and they need all to be tackled in some sense. Um, but there was also, um, we're, we're also looking to improve upon the quote unquote lower bowl. Uh, one of the problems with the XL Center is, unlike most arenas, it only has one concourse. Uh, both the lower bowl and the upper bowl feed into one concourse. Uh, it's not, it, it just can't handle the crowds. Um, so the idea is to rebuild the lower bowl, uh, to put more premium seating in there where you actually have more services provided in your seat, taking you off the concourse 
to expand into the atrium to allow for greater concourse facilities, more restaurants, more uh, concession stands, more restrooms, more more places to uh, socialize, uh, and to push, um, if you will, uh, the density off of the concourse so that the concourse can serve the upper bowl. And the lower bowl, we have more premium seating. Frankly, there's more money to be made there, both in food and beverages as well as ticket sales, which helps to build in uh, long-term with revenues. Uh, but it reduces the pressure on all the rest of the operations. And now today, frankly, uh, we have to push the envelope of the building a little bit because a year ago we were working with security issues. With all the uh, increased security demands of public arenas across the world, um, screening people, running through metal detectors, uh, going to the back, check uh, the wands, um, and running them into the building required more space. Now add to that the COVID regimens where we have to screen people for health reasons. So now we got to screen them twice uh, to get them into the building. You need room to do that. It just doesn't exist. Um, and so those kind of upgrades are being pushed by the world we live in uh, on one hand because of the, of the problems uh, public uh, assemblies have had with uh, security issues and now with the health issues. So we have to address those two issues. We have to address the infrastructure fatigue, and we've got to find a way to get a better premium seat in the building to make some better revenues. Um, and, and that's the, if you will, that's the calculus we're working on uh, to try to uh, move the building into the, really the next century. Well, get them into this century, I should say. <laughs> in, in terms of adding some of the, the more premium seating down below, do you see that changing the, the capacity of the arena? And, and if so, what, what, what does that look like going forward? The building fails the requirements today by code for number of bathrooms and number of concessions, quote-unquote points of sale, uh, and other things on a per capita basis. In other words, the number of people aren't being served uh, by the facilities. So you can build as many facilities you need today by code to meet the full 16,000, or you can reduce the capacity building to around 12,000, maybe 11 and a half, and reduce your, your investment need and your capital need to address the restrooms, concessions, and space needs of 11,500 to 12,000 people. So we would optimize the build at around 12,000 seats, uh, whereas today it's around 16. Now, having said that, having said that, we're not eliminating the other 4,000 seats. We're actually going to have a wall that's going to drop down and block them off. Because there will be those events. There might be that big basketball game. There might be that big concert. Uh, there, there may be an event that needs the 16,000-seat building. And on those occasions, we can roll those walls up and open up the capacity to what it is today. So while we are uh, making our investment pattern driven by the 12,000-seat, 11,500 uh, 11 to 12,000-seat uh, footprint, we will not eliminate the capacity. We just won't use about 4,000 seats. In terms of, uh, you know, I, I think one thing that's, that's of interest was this year, there was a lot of buzz around UConn coming back to the Big East in those games, you know, being in Hartford. How do you see, you know, that conference draw now being, being a big draw for fans to come out to the XL Center and possibly needing to use those full 16,000 seats? Oh, yeah, I think that's going to be the case. Um, not for every game and not in every night. I mean, uh, you know, we'll get the big game on a Saturday afternoon. That'll rock the house. Um, but there still will be games on a, you know, on a Tuesday against a team that maybe isn't performing as well that won't need that kind of capacity. Um, but I do think um, 
we will use the full building uh, for those big events, and it will produce a nice return to both the school and to the building. And we'll still have that capacity. Um, but there's far, far more events that'll be at the 11,500 seat range uh, that the building will operate more efficiently uh, at a lower cost uh, and, and not have 4,000 empty seats being taken care of. So, so I think speaking to, to what a difference uh, a year year or so makes, you know, uh, the last time we spoke was prior to the uh, NCAA tournament coming back to Hartford and, and at the XL Center. You know, looking back on that now a year or so later, you know, how did that, how did you think that the event came out from your perspective and, you know, by implementing some of these renovations, do you, do you see Hartford being uh, another possible host site, you know, a little later on down the, down the line here? Ooh, yeah, I mean, one, it was a great event for us. Um, we did have some hiccups. We had a very short window in between the first set of games and the second set of games, um, which was 45 minutes or something like that, where we had to completely empty the building, clean it, restock it, and refill it. Um, and that was a major hiccup for us. Other buildings had four or five hours between the two sessions. So, you know, we were, um, we were an old building that wasn't, isn't designed for all that movement. And we were caught with a very tight TV schedule. Um, so that was the, that was a major hiccup for us during that weekend. Having said that the crowds were great. Uh, the, the building earned a nice profit for that weekend. The events went off well. I think everybody had a good time. We had a great matchup. We had some great matchups um, of teams. We had a hot Vermont team. We had a uh, number one uh, draft candidate playing for another team. Uh, you know, we had um, uh, Villanova, which had been the national champion. We had some. We had a great, you know, lineup. Um, so that helped. Um, but the scheduling hurt us a little bit. Uh, but the building performed well. People had a good time, and, and the city really lit up that evening. Um, so all that's good. Having said that, I really think we got to make improvements to get back in the line. Um, you know, we would not even have gotten the tournament had we not done some work on the building in 2014 and 15, where we expanded the locker rooms and, and did some improvements for the teams, uh, and the training facilities and the like. Um, and had we not done that, I don't think we would have secured the, the most recent tournament. Had if we don't make some other improvements, frankly, which increases the revenues, not for just us, but the NCAA, um, then I don't know what our luck is going to be getting another major event like that from the NCAA. We do intend to get back in the line. We do intend to make the pitch, um, and um, you know we'll, we'll go at it. But um, uh, there's no guarantees. You're four or five years out, I mean, these events. And, you know, interestingly enough, um, a whole bunch of buildings had this this year's tournament that got canceled. I mean, you know, and, and you got to feel for those guys because it, it was a major event that they lost on their calendar. They disrupted their scheduling in order to accommodate it, and uh, they lost it, and they got to get back in line. So my guess, my pure guess, and this is me speculating, is that the NCAA is going to try to get those those buildings back in the loop again, uh, which is going to push us out just that much further. So. Um, yeah, well, we, we're back in line. Uh, we don't think it's going to be for several years, but if we don't make certain upgrades, it's going to be hard for us to secure it again. Uh, but it definitely, it's a payday for us uh, when we do we get it. So. Outside of some of the renovations that you guys are work, looking to do during this uh, shutdown time frame, 
you know, in an ideal world, what else, you know, if, you know, the governor said you could have your wish list and get what you needed done and get the funding for it, what is the arena looking for and what does it need to, to get to that level, um, you know, outside of knocking it down and completely rebuilding? Well, knocking it down and completely rebuilding is, is probably a non-starter. Um, the cost of demolition is, has been estimated anywhere from 20 to $30 million, which would be, you know, a lot of money to spend just to get a hole in the ground. Um, the um, uh, totally rebuilding it is uh, these these buildings today are going for north of a half a billion. You know they're going for five hundred, six hundred million dollars. Um, finding a location to put it, uh, you know the power structure that will be uh, wants it downtown. Um, so coming up with oh let's just put it out at Rensselaer Field isn't going to sell. Uh, isn't going to get the support it needs. Uh, it isn't likely to happen. So we're back to how can you refit what we have? The building was built for major leagues, um, but 40 years ago, right? And uh, the world's changed so many different ways that the revenue streams have to be built differently. It's not simply buying a ticket and sitting, you know, 12 seats in on a a 24 seat row. It's, it's uh, being in clubs. It's being in, in special loge areas. It's being in, in bars, it's 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 moving about the building. It's it's uh, spending monies in ways beyond simply uh, you know watching the game. Uh, you're you're really entertaining, and the world today is not in a skybox up at the roof. The world today is on the floor, and we're not. You know, no one wants the skyboxes, and we can't get the big crowds on the floor. So we need to change the building's uh, appearance, um, and there's multiple ways of going at it. We came up with two scenarios. One was two hundred and fifty million dollars, not anything to shake your your you know your fist at. Um, it um, it uh, required us to build a second concourse, split the bowls, and renovate the lower bowl to a, a higher premium seating in the upper bowl. Uh, we would do some improvements with clubs and, and and bars and restaurants and things of that nature. There was no appetite to spend that kind of money, um, so we went back to the drawing boards and we said. All right, let's focus on where we need to do it. Um, I mean, honest to God, there are there are switches in that building that cannot be found anymore. If they break, the building shuts down. And, and it's that simple. There's some guy in a garage in Pennsylvania that might have the part, but the manufacturer has been out of business for 25 years. So we need to upgrade that stuff. We can't rely on somebody knows somebody who's got a part in, in eastern Ohio that we don't get. And, and we can't afford to lose events because of that stuff. So we need to upgrade some switches and some plumbing and, and, and just the simple mechanics. Uh, today's rules are different. You know, the ADA law passed um, in the 90s, which at that time the building was 20 years old. <laughs> the building's 45 years old now. Uh, you know, meeting ADA code issues with elevators and handicap accessibility and special doors, uh, you know, all that is a challenge for us. Um, so... There's a variety of things we just have to get at. So we put together what we call the lower bowl strategy. And that's roughly $100 million, uh, some of which we've already begun to do. We, we tore out the old flooring and put in a new floor for ice. We're now bringing in a new chiller system, uh, which was 40-something years old. Uh, occasionally, it would melt down on us at 2 a.m. in the morning, and we'd be in a panic mode to get the ice back. Um, and, and these little crises, uh, you know, we were managing on a day-to-day basis with a lot of, you know, bailing wire and tape. 
you can't have that happen during an event. You know, you you you, you got to be on top of it. You got to assure the event can go off, and you got to assure that people can get in and out of the building safely, and you got to assure you can make your money to keep the building running. So, we can't run those risks. So, there's a variety of infrastructure things we just have to do, um, and then there's a variety of things we should be doing that do one of two things: lower our operating expenses or increase our revenues. Um, and, and that's what the lower bowl strategy does. It brings in a premium seating, a premium F&B, a premium experience that people were willing to pay for that no longer want to pay for the skybox, but would pay for this stuff. And that'll increase the revenue stream. Um, the uh, infrastructure changes that we need to do will lower some of our operational expenses and hopefully uh, more reliability. Um, some things don't do either. Some things we just have to do. We have to do new security systems. We have to do new COVID systems. Uh, we have to separate food in different ways today than we even were thinking about a year ago. Um, and so um, all these things are critical to keep going. Um, the impact of the building, uh, you know, the state writes a check uh, for about six hundred to $800,000 a year towards what is a $2 million operating deficit every year. And some years it's more, some years it's less. Um, we make up the Delta through revenues off of parking and other things. Um, but on the other hand, the building produces between 2 and $3 million a year in taxes. So it easily pays the state back at 600000 uh, and puts money to the bottom line, which it never sees in its own P&L, but you know, the state sees it in some bucket somewhere. And... That that doesn't even beg the larger question. Um, look, at, if a restaurant survives off of 150 nights at the Excel Center, it's able to be open at lunch hour. The fact that it's open at lunch hour helps the guy in the office tower rent space because he's got a restaurant downstairs that is living off of multiple markets. These things start to have consequences. Um, and, you know, revenue streams into parking garages, into bars, into restaurants, into hotels uh, helps sustain... Uh, the commercial marketplace and its values and ultimately the tax base. So the indirect benefits of these buildings are never really appreciated and sometimes they're poo-pooed by those who don't like them. Um, but, you know, my, my theory is, look, it, it, there's a lot of hyperbole today about cities being dead. You know, to me, that's all nonsense. You know, Thomas Jefferson said Philadelphia was dead and I beg to differ with him. But, you know, um, and, and today you'd still go to Rome and London. And if you go to Rome, chances are you're going to the Coliseum. And and you know what? And you go to London, you're going to Wimbledon. And and if you go to New York, you're going to MSG. And you go to Hartford, you're going to go to the Civic Center. And and it's critical that we understand that it's a public good. It's a public park in some ways. Uh, it's a place where human beings need to socialize. I mean, Aristotle was ahead of all of us on this. He said, social animals. And guess what? COVID be damned, people are going to want to go to a ball game again. And, um, you know, the Civic Center plays that role, however expensive it is. It's, it's an amenity. It's part of quality of life. Um, and it's there. We're not, you know, it's, it's 45 years old and still trying to make a run at it. Um, a lot of buildings that went up at the same time it went up are gone. Um, the average age of an arena is 20 something years. Um, they're rebuilding the new building in Boston. They rebuilt the MSG. They rebuilt. They're in the process of rebuilding uh, the brand new building in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know how many times Washington's replaced facilities. And 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 you say to yourself, we still got the same old, you know, barn. Um, 
And, and I think there's risk. You know, I mean, New Haven knocked us down, and 20 years later, it's still trying to get something back up. Um, so we have to kind of put all that in balance um, and say, look, we've got an asset. For the most part, it's paid for. We've done deferred maintenance, not unlike your house. When the roof leaks, you're going to have to replace it or, or pay the consequences. Well, the roof's leaking, and we need to start figuring out how to, how to maintain the infrastructure. So, you know, that's, that's, my, that's my soapbox, but I, but I do believe uh, it, it plays a role the same way the convention center plays a role, the same way, you know, Dillon Stadium is going to be hopping on Saturday night in a playoff game. It's, they play a role in our world. Absolutely. I'll, I'll get you out of here on this one. You know, prior to COVID, whether it was having the NCAA tournament, you had a sold-out Elton John show, uh, some big-time other concerts coming through, UConn going back to the Big East. Uh, you know, a lot of momentum for the building. H- how do you keep up that momentum in a post-COVID uh, environment? Yeah, um, it's a huge body blow. We we were starting to come around the corner. We were we were starting to get the building to, to operate the way everybody would want it to. We were starting to see a better series of events. Um, you know, we were getting a handle on operating it because of all the fatigue systems were being replaced, however slowly. Um, and you know, uh, we were starting to rebuild the town too at the same time. You know, and yeah, COVID has just body blowed us. Uh, and I, I don't, I don't know how to come out. My, my concern though is what is today a liquidity problem for everybody, whether it's a hotel, a restaurant, or an office building, could become a solvency problem tomorrow. It's, you know, we're 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 playing with cash flow issues today. We could be playing with the death of lots of buildings tomorrow uh, if we don't correct this COVID situation. But um, the Civic Center. Uh, we, we knew we were going to have to go into a quiet period to renovate the building and, and try to get events done, but there were going to be parts of the year we'd have to shut just to physically change the place. Uh, in, in, in that sense, the, the silver lining, as much as anybody wants to find one, is we got a period, we're paying the price already with it being shut. Uh, we might as well get there and do some work um, and try to get it done and, and wake the building up when the world wakes up again um, in a much better shape. So, so um, yeah, I, I lied. I, I do have one more. So, so come, uh, you know, next fall when uh, UConn basketball resumes, hopefully playing at the XL Center, are we going to expect to see a bit of a new look to, to the arena by that time, you think? Yeah, that's the hope. I mean, there might be a lot of construction uh, crews still working around the place, but um you know, a lot of this takes, you know, the public procurement process is not the most efficient. Um, you know, when you run the gauntlet of designing everything, bidding it, going through the reviews of it, contracting it, getting it mobilized and getting it done, uh, it's agonizingly slow. Um, we're trying to get ahead of the curve. We're getting some packages on the street. And that's one reason why the RFP was out uh, a week or two ago, uh, getting a new construction manager so we can start managing these jobs in, in, in increments. And as money comes in and as elements come together, we'll push it out and get it done as fast as we can and coordinate it from a, from a CM standpoint. Um, the goal is to get some improvements done by next fall. Um, we've got to get through a lot of issues between now and then. Uh, there, there, that is the intent. All right. Great. Mike, I uh, really appreciate the time. Thanks, thanks for coming on today and uh, look sure. forward to being sure. able to see you back out at the XL Center uh, in the near future. All right, Jared. Look for you out there. Thanks for listening to the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast with Jared Cutler. If you like the show and want to know more, check out the podcast on Twitter at CTScoreboardPod. 
the host at Jared Kotler, and find us on Facebook at the Connecticut Scoreboard Podcast. Finally, if you enjoy what you're listening to, rate and review us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening.